The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. I hope you are all having a wonderful Monday. Um, we're very happy that the Patriots pulled out that game in the last five seconds of, of the incredibly painful football game yesterday. I'm not sure whether Bill might be a Giants fan, so I may have just tanked the interview um, in the very beginning. But uh, I'm very happy and very pleased to introduce our guest today. Um, William Borchett is an Emmy-nominated screenwriter who wrote the movies My Name is Bill W., starring James Gardner and James Woods, and When Love is Not Enough, starring Winona Ryder and Barry Pepper. He's also written a number of books, including The Lois Wilson Story, When Love is Not Enough, Saw Through Prayer and Meditation, 50 Miracles That Changed Our Lives, and A Thousand Years of Sobriety. Bill is an entertaining and informative speaker, carrying his own message of recovery to medical groups, college campuses, large business organizations, and recovery conventions that cross the country. Bill is also a trustee of the nonprofit Willing Way Foundation in Statesboro, Georgia, that sponsors and supports college students in recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction, and also holds holds workshops to educate and fight against the stigma of addiction. And I am so pleased to have you on our show today um, for a whole host of reasons. But I think the most important is, um, one of the most important for me anyway, is that when you, when the movie My Name is Bill W. came out, um, we I worked in a 28-day treatment program, and we we got the movie and we showed it like in the cycle every 28 days and it it just made for some people such a difference just to see the human side of both Ooh. Bill and Dr. Bob and um because I think for younger people the it it was too far away from them to to get the personal they they just heard the the tenants or they just read um what was in the book? So it was. It's a it's a great movie. We still show it here once in a while, and um, of course, the Lois Wilson story was also great. But thank you for those because I think uh, it's incredibly important for people to see those those folks as as who they were as people. Thank you, Mary. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be with you today, and I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, and I've just, by the way, I've just stopped crying five minutes ago. Um, over that giant loss. Um, my Giants have a habit of losing games in the fourth quarter, but, uh, but I congratulate you anyway, uh, despite my, uh, my sadness. <laughs> well, you know, the Patriots have not got, do not have a very good record against your Giants, so you're still ahead of us 3-2. to two, so, um, <laughs> You're still winning. But it's nice, it really is nice to be with you. And by the way, um, if I may, it may sound like a, like, a, like a little braggadocio, but I don't mean it that way. But 
the movie My Name is Bill W. I've been told by uh, by ABC and a Hallmark Hall of Fame and uh, and others that it has become the um, most watched television movie ever made. Isn't that incredible? I, I I'm not at all surprised. Um, both Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson have have had such an incredible effect on people, and certainly they're they're in a they're in a league by their own. Um, well, they gave us a twelve step program first for uh, you know alcoholics to recover, but now there are something like three hundred uh, organizations that use the twelve steps and everything from for getting off of cigarettes to uh, a cancer re- cancer survivors to uh, lost children. I mean, it's incredible how the twelve steps are applying to people, you know, all around the world in different ways. It's it's. Uh, it's what Bill Wilson and, and his wife Lois Wilson, who founded Almond, really wanted. They felt that the 12 steps were accepted by the world. Someday they could be really an incredible piece around the world if people applied them into their lives. Well, we can certainly use that today, can't we? Um, we sure can. We sure can. You know, um, you know, I just I don't even know where to begin. This is such um, a powerful topic in terms of recovery, and you've written a book. How I Became My Father, a Drunk. I, I can't tell you the number of people that I know who said, I grew up thinking I am never going to be like my father. I'm never going to be like my mother. And mm-hmm. it's just, um, and somehow people end up there. There. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? or you want Yes, to that, uh, yes that's, why, that's why I wrote the book, Mary, uh, because uh, it was, I never planned to do it, but I was, uh, I was giving a talk down at West Palm Beach and, uh, and I just happened to share about my relationship with my father, whom I really, really hated and despised because of, the, you know, the disaster he created in our family. But then uh, after I got sober, he got sober too. And in recovery, you know, everything everything got well again. And we had a relationship for 15 years before he passed away that was wonderful. I, I finally had a father and he had a loving son and we both had loving families because recovery can change everything. And, and this fellow, the chairman of the of the, uh, of the convention I was speaking at, suggested that I, I put this on paper because, he, as you just said, a lot of families suffer from this disease. It's not just the alcoholic or the drug addict. It's their families uh, that get lambasted by it, too, and they don't realize it, and they don't, know, they don't want to, what to do about it. So I thought I'd share my experience and show them that, uh, you know, how, how it affects the families. And that there is a way out, and that's what this book is. It's uh, I never wanted to be like my father, but I came, became not only like him, but worse than him in my terrible disease. But again, we what both was, recovered, and uh, I want to show families that there is a way out. So that's why I call was, it how I became my father, a drunk. I became a drunk just like him. But uh, I've had a, a wonderful, by the way, a wonderful 53 years of recovery, Mary. Of that, congratulations. That is amazing. That is wonderful. What was it like to have to relive all these memories? Because in your book, I mean, your childhood was very painful. There was a lot of verbal abuse. There was a lot mm-hmm. of neglect. I mean, what was it like to have to go back and relive all that? It it was it was a combination of being painful and yet satisfying. Because when I came through it all, I finally came to recognize that I did have parents who really did love me in their own way and were trying to do their best, but they were trapped in a disease, and I didn't know it at the time. But uh, having suffered myself and having recovered, 
you know, I came to understand much better, you know, uh, what, what they were going through and why I went through it with them. Because it affects every member of the family. You know, it affects the children. It affects the, the spouse. It affects the in-laws and the outlaws. It affects the neighbors. It affects the friends. And this disease, you know, I think the most recent statistic I heard, Mary, was that there are 44 million alcoholics in this country alone. And each one of them affects at least five to seven people in their lives, which means there are something like 200 million people in the United States somehow impacted by this disease. And I thought in my own small way, maybe I could show them that there is something they can do about it, and there definitely is a way out. Well, there is a way out, and 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 what I congratulate you on is being able to really talk about that relationship between father and son. We we treat, at Westbridge, we treat men 18 and over, and and there's such such tension there between fathers Mm -hmm. who are absent because they're working or absent because there's been a divorce or whatever, and and that tension between father and son um, can cause so much pain and discomfort. And and what your book shows is that, you know, if you hang in there, there's always an opportunity to mend that relationship. And I think that's a powerful message. A son needs a father. Of course, daughters do too, but... You know, I, uh, you know, I, growing up, I saw other kids with their dads. The dads were teaching them how to play baseball and teaching them how to throw and catch and, and taking them places and whatnot. And, and I had none of that. I had none of that. Here's what I had. I was playing stickball on the streets of Brooklyn where I was born and raised one, one day. And the cab pulls up in front of our house and the door opens and a man falls out in front of all of my friends. And who it was was my drunken father. Uh, you know, dribbling from the chin, and, uh, and the cab driver had to pick him up and help him into the house, and all of the guys started laughing, and I just didn't know what to do, so I just ran, and I just ran, and I ran, and I ran. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to crawl into something and disappear, and uh, so that was my experience growing up. I didn't have a father, but finally in sobriety I did. I finally had his father, and it was wonderful. So I share all of that because um, people need to, need to understand what this disease does, and that they're not alone, but that they can, that things can change in recovery. And you know that, Mary. That's what you do, and I congratulate you for all you do to help so many people. Well, it's it's a blessing, and um, and and I feel very blessed to be able to do this work. I, I think the other thing that is um, that, that struck me because oftentimes I read backwards to front words. I usually read the end of the book and then the beginning, but um, when you were talking about your dad's funeral and wake and the number of lives that he affected in his recovery, I think that's also mm-hmm. a very powerful message. And, the, and the, your mother's support throughout all of this, I know this was a really hard experience for your mom to go through as well, but in his recovery, they kind of reconnected and, and she was able to support him helping others. And um, I think that really is part of the, the miracle and God working through people. The last 15 years of their lives, they fell in love again when he sobered up. And they had a great 15 years before he passed away and she passed away. And and, and I was part of that. I mean, I was part of seeing that and, you know, to see the the lights go on and to see the love come back and, uh, you know, and, and the pain was still there. I mean, my mother still had the pain, you know, that doesn't go away so quickly, but she now had 
a man said that she knew who loved her and who would do anything for her, and he really tried to make amends. And as you said, he got so active in a 12-step program that he helped so many people that at his funeral, people were coming up and kneeling in front of my mother, telling her how he had saved their lives and how much he had done for them. And, and he was a man who was, was nothing but a drunk when, you know, when I was growing up, and now all of a sudden he's, he's saving people's lives. It was an incredible experience to see that at the end, you know. Was your mother, Abel, ever involved in Al-Anon, or...? No, Al-Anon back then, going back into the late 50s and early 60s, and don't forget, Al-Anon just started it in the late 50s, and so it wasn't very well known. And uh, so, no, and there was no Al-Anon meetings around the area that I recall. But she she went to a lot of AA, a lot of, you know, meetings with my father. Uh, and, uh, and then she... And, and she, so she got to know other wives, and, and they would get together. So it was sort of like a, a, a you know, semi, uh, if you would, Al-Anon meeting. So. And I think we're, we're going to break for a commercial right now. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. West Bridge Community Services. West Bridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. West Bridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at West Bridge Community Services. West Bridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time.
Welcome back, everyone. Um, today we're talking with William Borchette, who is an Emmy-nominated screenwriter who wrote the movies My Name is Bill W., starring James Gardner, who I love, and James Woods, and When Love is Not Enough, starring Winona, Winona Ryder and uh, Barry Pepper. Uh, Bill, you've also uh, been involved with uh, two other um, movies that everybody's going to know, Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. How did you get started writing? Well, I, you know, I started as a young reporter in New York City. I, uh, I was very blessed to, to, to have that opportunity, and, and uh, I've had, I had so many great opportunities in the media business that I just you know, drank away. But, uh, but for a while, you know, when you're young and, and, uh, and fairly good shape, you can handle it drinking for a while. But, and, and I did, and I was very successful as a newspaper reporter, and then they found out I could write, so they brought me in as a rewrite man. And then when I was 22, I was the byline feature writer for the largest evening newspaper in the, in the, in the world at that time. It was the New York Journal-American. And uh, and then I wound up getting fired and brought back in and getting fired and brought back. I wound up as the obituary editor <laughs> writing about dead people. And uh, so I, I I left and I got a job working for a weekly news magazine, traveled around the country, big stories and so on. And then I was about to get fired from that job and I wound up writing radio shows and I was about to get fired from that. And I wound up in the public relations business, which lasted six months. And then I became unemployable at the age of 27. Wow. And then at 28 years old, I got I got uh, sober. I got into a 12-step program, and I got sober. And uh, and you know what happens because you work with people and uh, who uh, who are in recovery. And uh, um, and, uh, and as I began to get sober, I began to be able to handle things again. And I got back into the media business and and wound up with my own public relations firm. And um, and I was writing, I'm doing what you call corporate movies back then. You know. Um, and an investment banker and friend of mine was starting a new company, asked me to be part of it, and it was an independent motion picture production company called Artists Entertainment Complex. And I joined up with three other guys, and we started this company, and, uh, and our goal was to make movies and manage talent, and, uh, and we became quite successful pretty quickly. By the way, uh, our first movie was with Raquel Welch, um, starring as a roller derby queen in the movie called Kansas City Bomber. Uh, which plays very infrequently, but uh, it was a pretty good, you know, hit back then. Yeah, and then Raquel and Leather, right? <laughs> What's that? Raquel Welsh, Raquel Welsh and Leather, right? What, what more yeah. did you want? Yeah, she was. She was. She's a grace, a very gracious lady, and she's still as beautiful as ever. She's. Uh, I'm sure recently. Um, and then I think I mentioned I I I, uh, I had covered the 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 uh, um, commission. I was investigating dirty cops, and uh, there's a undercover cop called Frank Serbico who uh, was turning in dirty cops and he they tried to kill him and he fled to to Switzerland and a friend of mine Peter Moss you might have read some of his books he's a great writer he went over to uh, to Switzerland got Frank's rights and wrote a book about him called Serbico and we bought the rights and uh, we made a movie called Serbico with uh, with Al Pacino and it put us on the map and then um, one of my partners uh found a story in Life magazine about a, a young guy getting a robbing a bank in Brooklyn to get his lover a sex change operation. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't my cup of tea, but I thought it would be a great movie, and so did my partners, and we made a movie called Dog Day Afternoon. And um, and, and things went very, very well. And, uh, and then uh, through my wife, 
uh, Bernadette, I, uh, I met Lois Wilson, who was the founder of uh, Al-Anon, and uh, she gave me permission to do a movie about her and her husband, and, and that's how uh, My Name is Bill W. came about, uh, through Lois, and, uh, and we became very close friends, my wife and I, with Lois Wilson for the last 15 years of her life, and she was an incredible lady, she really was. And you know something, um, and I've told a lot of people this because I believe it wholeheartedly, that uh, this 12-step movement would have never gotten off the ground were it not for Lois Wilson. Um, She kept Bill alive, and Annie Smith kept Dr. Bob alive, who is the other co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, and, uh, and without, without Lois Wilson and Annie Smith, those two blokes would have died a drunken's death. And uh, so I, uh, it was a, it's a really a, a privilege to know Lois and uh, all those years. And uh, I wanted her to stay alive to see the movie made, but she died a year before the movie came out. And uh, okay. but what's that? I said that's too bad. Have, did you yeah. go to Stepping Stones to meet with her? Did you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, um, um, I, I, in her, she had asked me at one point. Um, to be a director of, of Stepping Stones, you know, because when Bill died, he wanted to leave Stepping Stones, um, you know, you know, to uh, you know, to his program, and she wanted to leave it to Alan on, and and uh, but neither one of them could do that because they had passed, uh, uh, you know, uh, rules that said you can't leave more than next number of dollars, and Stepping Stones is worth a lot of money, so she turned it into a foundation. And I became one of the directors of the foundation for a number of years. That was another privilege. So uh, you know, I've had I've had all of these wonderful privileges in recovery, and uh, and uh, you know, God does wonderful things for you when you stay sober. I, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if you think about um, both of the movies, uh, my name is Bill W. and uh, Lois Wilson's story. What do you think is the most powerful message from either one of those movies, from your perspective? Well, the most powerful message, I think, is that, um, uh, and, and Jimmy Woods told me, told me that Jimmy Woods played, my, played Bill Wilson in My Name is Bill W., and, and he won the Best Actor Award for that movie. Um, and, uh, and the message is that no matter how far down you can go, there's always hope and there's always recovery. That uh, you know, um, that that it is definitely a disease, but then, then while there's no cure, you know, there, there, we can we can uh, we can find a life by abstaining from it. Um, and the other thing that that uh, uh, we have to that I think the movie pointed out, hopefully, was that that alcoholism is not just a physical disease. You know it, uh, that it, that it is also mental and spiritual because we show in Bill W. You know Jimmy actually going nuts and uh, winding up in Town's Hospital four four different times, and um, and uh, and in the end, um, you know finding finding peace and happiness through uh, through a spiritual program that he and Bob, Dr. Bob laid out in twelve steps. I think that um, both Lois and Annie Smith, um, I think, are uh, nobody really appreciates um, how much of a backbone of, of this that, that they were for each of the husbands. But they also were involved in the Oxford group. They also had this spiritual life. Yes. That 
um, that was kind of their salvation before AA ever got developed. That's right. They were both members of the Oxford group, and, uh, and Dr. Bob was also, but uh, um, Annie, Annie, Annie used to say that, uh, that every time they had a meeting at her house with Oxford group people, Dr. Bob would fall asleep in the corner and snore, and um, <laughs> so he wasn't... He wasn't as active. He was more active as a drunk than he was as a member of the Oscar group. But um, yeah, that was that was uh, you know um, sort of like uh, you know a blueprint that uh, Doctor Bill, Doctor Bob, and Bill Wilson based their program on, and uh, and uh, you know where where you you were not only just not drink, but you actually take a look at inside of yourself at all of your character defects and shortcomings. Which uh, often motivate the drinking, and uh, and then do something about them, and uh, and make amends to those people that you hurt, and uh, so it's 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 a difficult but marvelous recovery uh, way of life. And uh, so uh, you know, it was a, it was just a real privilege for me to to do. And after Bill W, you know, something happened, and uh, and it's very difficult to explain, but something happened to me, and. Uh, I came to realize that uh, with all the blessings that I had been given in life, that maybe it was about time for me to start paying back because I had been given so much through my recovery. And so most of the things I have done since then have to do with recovery. The books that I've written and the other movies that I've made and this most recent book, which, by the way, I've got a call from a producer last week that they're interested in doing a movie on this book, too. So... um, and so that's my life now. My life is now carrying the message and giving back, and I love every moment of it. Well, I'm glad because uh, you've given us tremendous uh, material for us all to to look at and to um, understand recovery more so than people could who don't really experience it firsthand. I, I think that before we uh, kind of close this chapter, I, I really was impressed with in your book, how you talked about your mother and your wife and how your re- your relationship with your wife and your father and mother's relationship was that they hung in there through the good times and the bad and, and how important that is. And I just think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, the, the partner of the person who has the um, alcoholism or the uh, substance use disorder, that um, they need support and they need help and... Um, you know that that they're an important part of this process too. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Doctor Bob used to say that he could not understand why Annie stayed with him and why Lois stayed with Bill. You know, it's difficult to understand why a a, a wife is willing to put up with that, but because it's such a difficult disease to understand. I mean, you can understand heart disease, you can understand cancer, you know, you can understand diabetes, you can understand all these other. But people don't recognize, I mean, the world doesn't, don't, really doesn't recognize that alcoholism and drug addiction are diseases. I mean, um, they think it's a moral thing, really, that uh, the alcoholic just chooses to do all the bad stuff that he does in his life. I didn't want to do that. A lot of the stuff I, do, I didn't want to do in my life, yet I hurt my wife and I hurt my family, as my father did to his, his wife and his family, including me. But um, so the fact that they did, my wife... Um, is so much like her mother, who was one of the most spiritual persons I've ever met, my mother-in-law. I loved her to death after I got sober. And, mm-hmm. um, and Bernard was a lot like her. She just, 
And and her mother told her when she wanted to leave me when I was when things got really bad. She said, "You can't leave him now, because he's a sick man. He loves you in his own way, but he's a sick man. You got to stay and take care of him." She didn't want to, but she did because my Bernard is a very spiritual person too. And I should tell you, by the way, that when I got sober, and I was sober about three months, it takes about that long to get to know everything. <laughs> and uh, she said she couldn't handle me then, and. But she stayed with me still, so. Well, she's good Good for her. Good for her. Good for you that you have her. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our guest is William Borchette, who is an, uh, an enemy-nominated screenwriter who wrote the movies My Name is Bill W., starring James Gardner and James Woods, and When Love is Not Enough, starring Winona Ryder and Barry Pepper. Um, he has also... Uh, other movies of his include Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon. 
And, you know, um, we were talking during the commercial, and I was telling Bill that most of us who, who work in this profession don't come here by accident. For some of us, it's a calling. For some of us, um, we grew up in families that experienced um, substance abuse or addiction or, or mental illness. And, and so I was wondering, you know, you've, you wrote two movies and produced two movies that were very much about alcoholism and recovery. And do actors kind of come to these parts too because of their own kind of uh, personal experience or do they just, you know, take the part because it's a good part? No, a lot of times they come to it out of their own personal experience. It's something that they want to do for whatever reason. And and by the way, it's not just the actors and actresses. It's the it's the behind-the-scenes people. Uh, um, in, in My Name is Bill W., uh, we had the sound guys fighting over wanting to get on the set to handle the sound and uh, and then and there was a lady that wanted to become the top hairdresser on the on the set because she was in an Al Anon. Um and so most of the crew on My Name Is Bill W, from the grips to the sound people, even to the caterers, were were in uh, you know twelve step programs. It was just wonderful. You know, it's like having uh-huh. one one big meeting every day. And and I think I think you could you you could see that in the movie on the screen. It was so well done. It was so well produced. Every every detail was so well taken care of, you know, and and it was just a pleasure being there, you know. Um, I you know I, I I let me let me tell you some interesting things about Jim, Jimmy Woods, who's a great guy, was still friends to this day. As a matter of fact, he gave me a big big tribute on the front cover of my new book, um, you know how I became my father a drunk, and he read the book, he loved the book, and he congratulated me for doing something that was going to help families. And and Jimmy Jimmy was the one. He came to uh, to um, um, Jim Garner and Peter Deshaw, the producers, and said, "I want to play Bill. I mean, I want to play Bill." And uh, during rehearsals, Jimmy told me why. And uh, he the first his first marriage, he married. He he started on Broadway, not in the movie. Started on Broadway, and and uh, and he fell in love with a showgirl, uh, gorgeous showgirl. He said and. Uh, and but she drank a lot, he said, and, and he didn't realize that she was an alcoholic. And when he realized that, he went to Al-Anon. He started going to Al-Anon meetings. He loved her so much, he wanted to help her, and he fell wow. in love with the twelve step program, you know. But uh, she couldn't stop drinking, and uh, she got very very sick, and you know couldn't work and all that. And they drifted apart, and uh, and he wound up going to Hollywood, and that would, that ended the marriage. Um, but. So when he heard that that we were making a movie about this twelve step program, uh, about basically about Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson to Dr. Bob, he came to Garner and said, "Hey, I want to play Bill. I mean, I love that program, you know." And that's how Jimmy wound up starring as Bill Wilson, and and he was so dedicated that he, you know, he became, uh, you know, at the Emmys he won the Best Actor award when there were two other people, uh, two other actors. And who had done other things and were favored to win, but Jimmy did such a fabulous job playing Bill Wilson that uh, he won Best Actor award. And uh, and Jimmy Garner, James Garner, who I, I I told you I just loved Jimmy. He was just a, such a nice guy. He he left us. He passed away just about a little over a year ago, but uh, we stayed in touch. And and he and my wife, the babe, my he and my wife both had uh, quadruple bi- bypass surgeries. You know, heart. And they used, oh, to, wow. they used to, yeah, and so that, that brought them together. <laughs> so we, we, we stayed scars? friends. Oh, what's that? Did they compare scars? 
You know, at a big, big party, 40th anniversary of the Hallmark Hall of Fame at UCLA, we're having dinner, and uh, as Bernard is approaching the table, Jim unbuttoned his shirt and said, my scar is bigger than yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did, as a matter of fact. Um, but uh, he, he was he was such a grand guy, uh, you know. Yeah, and how by did the he way, come to play that role? What's that? How did he come to play the role of Dr. Bob? Oh, because his partner, Peter Deschel, wanted to do this movie. Uh, because Peter was in a 12-step program, and he wanted to do the movie for the same reason I wanted to do it, to carry the message to people, uh, you know, and let the world know that uh, that there is recovery. And uh, and, and here's how it began, and and, uh, and then here's how, here's how you can get into it. And uh, so Peter wanted to do it and um, and, uh, and and turn Jim on, and Jim uh, uh, recognized that this could be a very important movie, and... Uh, so that's how that all that's how that all happened. Uh, I just want to mention one other thing about about uh, Jim Garner. Um, when uh, he was doing his uh, uh, biography with a with a writer, um, he had the writer call me up, and I, I didn't know this. I, I had met this writer before, but I didn't know him that well. But we became good friends and on the phone, and um, and he the writer called me up and said, Jim wants me to do a big piece in his book about the uh, production of My Name is Bill W., because he considered it one of the most important movies he ever made. He made, wow. a, believe it or not, he made 103 movies, and he felt that this is one of the most important movies he ever made. And so there were six pages, six pages in his biography about My Name is Bill W. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. yeah. I would agree with him. It is one of the most important movies he made. Yeah, and it's turned out to be now the most watched television movie ever made. Wow. Um... We had we had similar things going on when we made the Lois Wilson movie, when Love Is Not Enough. Uh, you know, Winona, who's a, just a lovely woman, and 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 she fitted the role of Lois to a T because she is very petite. Lois was very a very petite lady, uh, just about five feet tall, and um, she was warm, but she was strong. Lois Wilson was, and that's the kind of actress that Winona is. She's a very warm lady, but very strong lady, you know, and uh, a very determined kind of a person. And um, and she read my book, um, uh, you know, The Lowest Wilson Story When Love Is Not Enough, and fell in love with it, and then realized that she, it could probably help her because, you know, she had another kind of a disease, if you would, you know, called kleptomania, where when she was a little younger, she had all this money as a big, big star now, and and, uh, and yet she went into stores and would steal things, you know, and and um, uh, and she told me, you know, on the set that this this was helping to exercise those feelings and uh, and um, and uh, you know re- renewing the twelve steps in her life. So it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. And the director of the movie. John Kent Harrison, who was a marvelous guy and a great director, uh, told me on the set that he he asked Hallmark if uh, he would if they would consider him to direct the movie, and they asked him why he was so interested, and he said because his mother died of alcoholism. Uh, he said he was 19 years old. He was sitting in his den with his father watching television, and he had come to hate his mother because she was such a terrible drunk. And she came in and sat next to him on the couch, and he wanted to just throw her out. I mean, he just... And she leaned over and fell into his lap, died of a massive heart attack. And he felt so guilty that he just didn't understand 
that his mother had been a very sick woman from this disease. And so he wanted to, he wanted to direct this movie because I thought it could help him exercise his own ghosts, you know. And it did, because John and I spent a lot of time together on the set, and we talked a lot, and uh, and he felt so much better doing this movie. So, so there are a lot of personal things involved with both of these films that uh, you know I, I found very, very interesting. You know, I was at a recovery film festival a few years ago, and there's another movie out about Bill Wilson that kind of paints a darker picture of him, alleging a, yeah, yeah. the infidelities and, and whatnot. Did you... It's a terrible, terrible lie committed by two guys who are out to make a buck. They don't know anything about the fellowship, the 12-step program. Uh, All they wanted to do, they they got the idea from reading uh, Susan Cheever's book, uh, which was filled with lies about Bill Wilson and his so-called, you know, womanizing. Um, I investigated all of that when I did Lois's biography and most of it. You know, I, nobody knows what, what, what Bill did, but I know what he didn't do because uh, people told me what he didn't do, and he didn't do the things that he was accused of doing in that movie. And by the way, they called that movie Bill W. to take advantage of my film, which is My Name is Bill W. All right. Uh, right. These, two louts, these two louts should be, you know, tarred and feathered and thrown out of, thrown out of window. I mean, it's, they, and of course, they've done such injustice. Uh, to the fellowship um, uh, and and to Bill Wilson's uh, reputation, you know, people like that do things about people who are dead, so people can't defend themselves. You know, they're, they're scoundrels. They're absolute scoundrels. Right, right. I know, but it does kind of paint, paint a very black picture of um, of him, and mm-hmm. it's too bad that there's no recourse for that. No, um, no. No, and uh, I've met Bill several times, and he was not a dark character. He was very charismatic and very, ca- very loving and uh, very giving. And uh, and Lois loved him to death, you know. And uh, and they lived a very happy life together. You know, and as a matter of fact, you know, the person that convinced me the most about their love was their uh, a lady named Harriet, who was their friend and housekeeper and uh, travel companion for uh, almost forty years. And uh, she worked up at Stepping Stones and took care of Lois. But we got some music. I'll finish this yeah. after the break. Okay, we're, we're going to take a break, and we'll finish the story right after our commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, 
Join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is William Borchette, who is an author um, of books and screenplays. He's a movie producer, and you were ch- before uh, we went to commercial, we were right, we left us hanging about um, Bill Moses' companion, who you said you had talked to regarding their relationship. Yeah, uh, because as you say, that uh, you know there have been some things. Written uh, about uh, about particularly about Bill that uh, that uh, were not very truthful and uh, and pictured him as uh, someone that uh, uh, you know was not uh, you know that lovable in, in, a, in a family kind of way. But and I said that's all that's all untruthful. That's a bunch of lies. The and I and I say that because you know being a former investigative newspaper reporter, I know how to find out facts. And uh, and when I was writing um, the book. You know Lois Wilson's story. I wanted to get into that aspect, and as I say, the thing that convinced me the most that Bill really loved Lois, and Lois really loved Bill, and uh, and that he was not that kind of a person was his uh, her and his and her uh, friend and companion and uh, and cook and cleaning lady called Harriet, lovely lady, and I got to know her really well. And she said to me, Bill, this uh, this stuff that they write about uh, Mr. Wilson is absolutely terrible because I can tell you how much they love each other. I said, how can you tell me? She said, well, I'm standing here in the kitchen cooking dinner. I look out the window onto the sprawling lawn. They had a stepping stones. is a lovely, lovely little house and uh, sat on these green sprawling lawns on top of the hills and in Bedford Hills in New York. And she said, I would see them walking hand in hand across the lawn. And then they would stop, and Bill, Mr. Wilson, she said, would turn to Lois, and he would bend down, because Bill was like over six foot, and Lois was just a little over five feet, and he would kiss her. And then he would take her hand again, and they would continue walking across the grounds as she would show him the new flowers he had just planted and whatnot. And Harriet said, you can't, with nobody watching, he wasn't putting on a show for anybody. He just truly loved his wife and truly loved him, and they were they were inseparable companions. And that convinced me, because this Harriet was a woman who was just a very wholesome, spiritual, truthful lady. And uh, 
and uh, so that I put that in my in my book, the Lois Wilson story, and uh, and that satisfied me, and hopefully it satisfied a lot of other people. So that's that story. So we'll go from that story to your story in your new book, How I Became My Father, a Drunk. With mm-hmm. I'm just going to read a little bit from the press release. Uh, this book tells a dramatic, almost unbelievable love story of one family trapped in the devastating and incomprehensible malady of addiction. Um, they suffer from a disease that reaches into the very core of the alcoholic in the family, destroying their most precious possessions, love, faith, and trust, confidence, and finally hope. Um, so this is a very powerful book, and um, it's certainly, as you talked earlier, it's, it's your story, but it's the story of, of a lot of other people as well. And not only that, um, it's, it's, uh, it covers uh, a number of years of my life, from uh, when I was six years old until, uh, uh, until, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, and uh, uh, so that that what I do is, you know, I, I love to when I write a when I write a biography. And this is essentially that, and I did this with the lowest story too. I'd like to talk about the times that the story is set in, and what's going on during those times, because to me it just creates more interest in the story. For example, in this book, it's like America struggled to get out of the Great Depression at that time, because my father was a a depression kid and. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, and we suffered from that because he didn't have any money. My mother didn't have any money, and her family didn't, his family didn't. So it was a real struggle getting out of the Great Depression. And then when I grew up, I mean, I, I had 18 years old, I became a newspaper reporter. It was the heyday of journalism, heyday of journalism. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and a lot of things were going on, and, and I haven't been covered those stories. I. Like I was sent down to Alabama to uh, to uh, watch George Wallace slam the doors of the university against the black students, and I interviewed a, a young girl named Arthurine Lucy, uh, who was the first black student at the University of Alabama, and, and he would not allow her in. and uh, uh, And I wrote a front page article about that, and uh, and then Arthurine's sister told me I better get out of town fast because they were looking for people like me to lynch. So I, get to, I took a midnight bus out of town. <laughs> And, uh, smart move. What's that? Smart move. Yeah, smart move, right? Yeah. You know, and then there was the first Sputnik shot up into space, and uh, uh, the last I covered the last execution of Sing Sing Penitent. Anyway, I put all that in the book because it's it's really really interesting stuff to to particularly the younger people who didn't, you know, it's it's like a, like history. And uh, and the ep- epic events of of the times, you know, the end of World War Two. My father wanted to wanted to go into the service, but they wouldn't take him because he had three kids. And then the Korean conflict and all of that. I mean, it's uh, and then I, and then then I tell stories about some celebrities that I that I met and did stories on when I was a reporter and writer for a weekly magazine, like Zsa Zsa Gabor and Diane Barrymore, who died like her father, a terrible death from alcoholism. You know, she was John Barrymore's daughter, and uh, yep. the singer and the singer Dick Ames, and uh, and I became a pal of he, he was he died of alcohol. Remember Dick? I, you don't even remember him, but he was a great singer. Um, he was married to Rita Hayworth, and uh, yeah. and uh, then there was a guy she named had her Nikki share of troubles too, right? Rita Hayworth had her share of troubles too. She really did. She really did. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, she died of, uh, I think, she became an alcoholic, and uh, 
say, and then and then Porfirio Rubarosa, who was a world-renowned gigolo. And anyway, this and, and then one of the most exciting things in, in my life, coming from Brooklyn, was I covered the greatest World Series to me that ever played in 1955, when the Brooklyn Dodgers beat the New York Yankees and brought the pennant to Brooklyn for the first time ever. And we no longer had to say wait till next year. So <laughs> anyway, so that's I, I put a lot of that stuff in the book because to me it makes the book a lot more exciting and uh, um, as to uh, what, what's going on. And I was, and my dad and I were involved in all of that stuff. So. Um, so you mentioned that somebody approached you about doing a screenplay for this. Yeah, I got a call last week and um, asked me if the uh, if I had sold any rights yet, and I said no. And they said, uh, would I be interested? And I said, well, it's very early yet. You know, the book, you know, the book only came out a couple of weeks ago. So, um, um, but I told them I would get back to them. So, uh, so where can uh, people find your book and how can people get in touch with you if they want to do that? Well, if they want to get in touch with me, that's easy. All they have to do is go to my website, uh, William Borchert, that's spelled B for boy, O-R-C-H-E-R-T. B O R C H E R T. So WilliamBorchard.com. And then they just got to push, you know, punch in, click on uh, books and movies. And then uh, all of the things that we're talking about, they'll find here, there on my website. And uh, also how to get in touch with me. I have my uh, email uh, address and cell phone and, and, and all. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't live in a, in a cave. I'm, I live a very open life and I'd love to talk to people. And um, and they can find information about my new book on at WilliamBorchard.com. And it's also available at Amazon as well? And um, they can go to Amazon.com, and it's on Amazon.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us, Bill. It was great. And thank you for all you've done to contribute to uh, recovery and telling the other side of the story, which is very hopeful and that recovery is possible. Thank you, Mary, for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Have a great week, everybody, and um, happy Thanksgiving in case uh, you're not listening in next week. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.